Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello and welcome to the new episode of the Farmer Launch Secrets podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Kaiser and Thomas Engstrom. Brian is Executive Vice President and Head of Strategy at Click Health, the world's largest independent commercialization partner for life sciences. Thomas Engstrom is a Group Director of Influence Practice at Click Health. So welcome and pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. All right, we have a super interesting topic for today that we haven't covered previously on the podcast, which is influencer marketing. And more specifically, we'll talk today about influencer in the realm of HCP, in the context of HCP, right? We may have another episode related to influencing when it comes to consumers or patients, because uh, Click folks are well known for a few things they've done in that area. So we may discuss that separately. But today, we'll be talking about influencer marketing in the context of HCPs. But to start with, we hear the word influencer marketing outside of pharma. In pharma, there was a term, you know, KOL. So what is actually an influencer? How do you define it? Click. Well, maybe let me start on that front, because I think when you hear the term influencer, I think you just noted there are a number of preconceived notions that, that follow that term. The first thing is people think influencer, they think it's synonymous with social. And one of the things that we've learned and um, we will talk more about is that uh, influencer is far more than social. It's much bigger than social. It may have been where it was born, but it's definitely expanded beyond that. The second is influencer isn't about celebrities. I think that's the first thing people gravitate to when they hear influencer and all the TikToks of the world, but that influencer is much more than celebrity. Um, And we'll talk about that. Influencer is not just a US thing. There are markets around the world that are much more developed, actually, in terms of how they're using influencers as part and parcel of their launch strategies. And I think the biggest thing is influencer is not going anywhere. Anyone who thinks influence is a fad, a trend, is probably are the same folks that probably thought the internet was the same 20 plus years ago. What's interesting is I think we hear the word influencer and to Brian's point, it feels very recent or a very kind of modern idea. But when you look back at history, the idea of an influencer goes back thousands and thousands of years, even going back to like ancient Rome uh, and gladiators. These were people that were able to have influence on people's behavior, whether it was purchasing power, kind of what they believed and what they did. And as we've seen it kind of progress throughout the years, it goes from just regular people to mommy bloggers to celebrities like Brian had mentioned earlier. And even now we're seeing it kind of transition more into the HCP space. And again, it is not just this one social media idea of an influencer. It really goes far beyond just kind of that one definition of of an influencer. I'll definitely come back to that, Thomas, on, you know, like proliferation, like of number of influencers and why that happened. I think it's a really important point, the world we're living in. Now, in the industries outside of pharma, 
sometimes the, the term influencer is, is almost like a vocation. So I'm an influencer. And sometimes I ask myself, okay, so what is this person influencing? You have this kind of influencer that we don't know what they're influencing. It's mostly like lifestyle, this and that. Now in medicine, influencer like or key opinion leaders, digital opinion leaders on the other side, it was much more clear what is it, like what their influence is about. And so, uh, however, we do hear this term over the past several years, DOL being thrown out. So we had a KOL, now we also have DOL. There's certain also social platforms that uh, the doctors are using more than others. So if you can help us understand what are the criteria, how do you define KOL versus DOL? And it, is every DOL a KOL and the other way around? That would be great to understand. Yeah, because we're on a podcast, I can't draw the Venn diagram, but there's definitely overlap between what a DOL or digital opinion leader and KOL or the key opinion leader. And traditionally, the KOL was the primary avenue for a launch brand to start to influence from a top-down hierarchical way, the way in which clinical information and some of the, the, the dynamics around a particular new-to-launch medicine or treatment, would get to how that science would get disseminated down to the community physician. The pandemic actually accelerated this organic wave of digital opinion leadership because there's a cohort of physicians out there now who are digital natives, who are very comfortable on these platforms, who are already starting to communicate on a peer-to-peer basis, but less from a hierarchical perspective and more from a individual life experience perspective. Uh, we always tell folks that there is a distinction between expertise and perspective, and both have a valuable role to play in the concept of influence. That much of what folks will gravitate to an influence isn't necessarily that this is the most credible source, but that their, their perspective on an issue or a topic helps inform the larger conversation that's occurring. And I will say too, you know, I think as we've seen social media platforms just completely explode uh, in today's world, TikTok, Be Real, other platforms like that, we are seeing just kind of a heavy push towards these platforms. Obviously, from a consumer standpoint, we see millions upon millions of individuals on these platforms. Um, Even with Gen Z, we're seeing that people are going to these platforms to get medical advice and expertise. I think Gen Zers go to TikTok 33% more often uh, than going to their doctor and YouTube. It's up words of 44%. So again, just the community in general are going to these digital platforms to educate themselves and get knowledge and and opinions about these topics. And Bozy, one thing that I can build on from what Thomas was just saying is there were things happening organically and then COVID happened. And during the pandemic, as peer-to-peer programming was difficult to do because live and in-person avenues were not available for launch brands. As reps were no longer able to get in the door, uh, in many instances, to have those types of conversations that would facilitate knowledge sharing, the fact that these digital opinion leaders had these platforms that were growing organically, it just hit pedal, the accelerator pedal got pushed down to the floor in terms of ways in which those platforms could be leveraged to help launch brands communicate with a more digital savvy population. So effectively, the overlap in that Venn diagram I mentioned earlier started to expand. 
And so you're starting to see digital opinion leaders become and develop into key opinion leaders. Key opinion leaders being those traditionally uh, credible sources. And that overlap, while it may have been minimal at the outset of COVID, has certainly started, that overlap has started to expand dramatically. And pharma launch brands can use DOL and develop them into key opinion leaders simply by providing platforms, environments for them to start to build their own credibility over time. And I'm interested in, in, the, in the parts of the Venn diagram that are, that are not overlapping, right? So traditionally, KOLs would be typically, you know, they're certain, typically in their age-wise, they were specifically being like maybe, you know, 50 plus, just to show, at least the ones that I work with or in my course, 17 uh, years career, because it takes time in medicine. To get, it takes like 15 years just to get to, you know, be, you know, be working with a specialist with patients. So another thing that I noticed is that they... They're usually coming working in academic academic centers. They were not doing not just doing clinical work. They were also doing research work, and they were also teaching, right? And then there is all these other things, such as citations. Did they speak at conferences? Things like that. So, and I'm thinking of the DOLs, right? Do they have to be academic doctors, or can they be like the doctors that often pick a speaker programs organized by pharma that are basically clinicians who are using the new products, who have deep experience, and other doctors feel comfortable asking them, especially about the new drugs, how to use them. So do they have to be academic? Are they usually more what pharma call the rising star, like a little bit earlier in their career, typically in their 40s, just, you know, and in their trajectory? So what are those kind of areas where you see differences on the Venn diagram? I'm really curious about yeah, it's fascinating. The digital opinion leadership space is so diverse. I think the way you described it, there was sort of a predictable path to become a key opinion leader over the course of your career. And you pursued the way in which you, you published the, the, the conferences, what academic centers you actually affiliated with. There was a formula to becoming a key opinion leader. The thing that excites us is the digital opinion leader is really more organic in that there's any number of different ways. And that's why the aspect of perspective is so critical, because it's that hands-on experience and viewpoint that the digital opinion leader, I think, creates a level of authenticity. And I, I, I know Thomas is probably smiling because that authenticity is something that pharma launch brands are recognizing is a secret ingredient. It's part of the secret sauce to an effective launch in the 21st century. Yeah, I think what we're seeing too on a lot of these social platforms is these DOLs or kind of HCP influencers. Some of them are, are quite young. And I think to Brian's earlier point, the pandemic kind of um, accelerated a lot of that. We have a lot of nurses on TikTok that became very active on on that platform and were authentically sharing their experience in the hospitals, in the ERs, um, about what their day-to-days look like. And again, it's kind of built and expanded to today, you can have a nurse in their 20s who's just starting their career. You can have doctors in their 40s who are a little bit more experienced. But again, to that point, that kind of formulaic approach of how to become a KOL is kind of broken down on the digital level. And, and really, the discoverability of these perspectives and experiences within this space are that much more available and at our fingertips 
on on some of these social platforms. Got it. That's great. All right. So let's say I'm a pharma brand director. So I'm launching a product and I'm like, I need to do something about it. Actually, this is an opportunity, what you're saying, meaning that there are more people with influence that I can work with to potentially as a part of my overall plan. So let's say I'm thinking, okay, where do I start? Do I first map them out? Do I help with an agency? I know there are some tools out there that kind of map out beautifully all these networks, whether it's Twitter or many other channels. Do I start with a map and I say, okay, this is these are all the KOLs, DOLs that I should work with, and here are the segments. And then how do I go from that like very high level and then we can go, go deeper into one of these topics? So how do I start this process? I think Thomas will probably be able to walk you through the the blow-by-blow of how you actually approach this. But I will say from someone who didn't grow up in, I'm not a digital native, I did not grow up with TikTok at my disposal, or I'm coming in looking at this, um, curious to see how this is going to impact our clients. And one of the things that opened my eyes is the level of rigor and the process involved. People think, oh, I'm just finding an influencer and it magically comes together very, very quickly and without a lot of um, pre-planning. I think Thomas can walk you through the, the degree of discipline and rigor that goes into the selection, the contracting, the compliance, everything that goes into activating an influencer program a, I think is necessary in the healthcare space, but also I think is really eye-opening to some of the secrets to making influencer marketing actually work for you. Yeah, I'll say, you know, I think, again, we have this term influencer and it is a buzzword. A lot of people see it as a bright, shiny object and they're like, oh, I want to do that. And I think that's really amazing. We as marketers get really excited about that because we think it is the future of kind of connecting with peers and consumers. But I think before we dive into that, we really want to take a step back and really understand what our goals are, kind of why are we looking at activating some of these individuals and what is the purpose? Is it just kind of general awareness? Are we really trying to dig in deep to some more kind of nuanced conversations and having that kind of foundation in terms of, okay, what is the goal? What are we trying to get out of this? That, uh, to Brian's point, has implications on so many steps as we kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of this process. So again, really having an understanding of, of what the goal is, who the target audiences are. And then as we dive into kind of finding these creators, like you mentioned before, there are so many platforms, agencies out there that have access to so many individuals and really understanding who they are as a person, ensuring that they are aligned with the brand, the conversation, the topics, but even more in-depth, understanding who they're speaking to. Understand if it is HCP to HCP, uh, who those people are, where they're located. I think, again, when it comes to influencer marketing, we want to make sure that, yes, the individuals we're working with are aligned with us as a brand and messaging, but almost more importantly, the people that they're communicating with on Instagram, YouTube. TikTok are also within that same cohort because at the end of the day, they're on these platforms to have conversations and again, influence other individuals. So, you know, it it is a really complex process. Again, I think influence marketing people like, yeah, let's do it. And they forget contracting negotiations, really making sure that 
pay is fair market value and and that we really are robust in terms of how we're setting up these programs. And when it comes to execution, it's really diving in deep with these individuals to help them understand, again, what we're doing, what we're looking for them to do, whether it is creation of social content or leveraging them on on other platforms or channels as well. Got it. Okay, great. So I have now like a high level idea. So start with the strategy. I love that. Start with the goals. What are you trying to accomplish? What are the strategic imperatives of the product? Right? Right. So then we're looking at this as you know, a new a channel in a way. So say, okay, map out KOLs, DOLs, we can go, you know, more sophisticated, less sophisticated, but basically come up with those, like a list of names, if you will, that we would like to be working with. And we do the negotiation, contracting, and oftentimes that, that, that's a very hard part, but let's say we've done all that. And now we have the list of people and we have a strategy. So how does, what's the next step of thinking? Is it now we're thinking channel by channel? So these are people who are kind of more active on Twitter. These are people more like somewhere else. And then also the question is, are they producing content? Are they commenting? And then how do they do it in a way? Maybe I'm asking too many questions, but let's say it's channel. And what are they doing on that channel? And then a third question is, how do they do it in a way that doesn't uh, repel their audience, right? Because people can like, trust is one of these things that is hard to build and you can be lost in like in one day. So maybe there are a lot of questions, but let's start with <laughs> the first one. Yeah, no, no, those are all amazing questions. And I think in terms of kind of the start with the platforms and where we're leveraging, some of that will start in kind of the initial strategy and development of the goals, understanding where we want to reach out to them, especially within DOLs. TikTok, you have Twitter, you have Facebook, you have YouTube, you have LinkedIn. The platforms are almost endless. So really understanding um, where we want to show up. uh, And again, where these individual strong suits are. You might have a nurse who has 50,000, a million followers on TikTok, and then they have a couple hundred on Twitter. So really it is looking at these individuals and where their strengths are and where their audiences are as well. Oftentimes we won't activate someone who only has a handful of followers on a platform. We want to make sure that we are leaning into where they are popular and the most influential. I think in terms of, you know, content and what they're doing as well, it really does kind of span multiple opportunities and multiple kind of venues. Um, When we think about social content, it is all about content creation, building things, becoming, being able to kind of catch the attention of your viewer of other HCPs. Our recommendation when we're working with clients, whether it's HCP influencer marketing or consumer influencer marketing, is to really lean into uh, these individuals' ability to connect with their audiences. Oftentimes, that is allowing them to create their own content. With DOLs, these people have, Bazi, to your point, have built an audience that is so engaged and they trust their voice and what they say. So if we can come in there as a brand and say, hey, you need to post this or you have to do X, Y, and Z exactly how we say, that authenticity is going to just kind of drain. And to your point, we live in this kind of society and culture right now where people are willing to call that out on social media. People will kind of comment and say, hey, this is not aligned with who you are as an HCP or what you normally talk about. So really thinking about it as a collaborative effort, obviously we have kind of key messages and things that we need to 
approach and kind of talk about as a brand, but making sure that we bring in these individuals as a collaborator, again, to make sure that we are able to create content that is authentic and speaks eloquently to to their audiences. Outside of social media, other venues, we mentioned kind of some traditional things like congresses or conferences. We have seen a lot of success integrating into other parts of a brand's ecosystem as well, whether that might be PR efforts, media interviews, even things like media integration. So working with traditional media publishers who are creating content for other platforms, whether it be websites, their social channels, to again, integrate these HCP stories and voices into other uh, areas of a brand's ecosystem as well. So again, is really taking a step back looking at a brand's ecosystem as a whole and really understanding where these individuals can be influential and where we can kind of tap into their voices to elevate uh, the brand's launch efforts. Yeah, there's an interesting aspect to the equity and that these influencers are building. The equity for a traditional key opinion leader is rooted in their clinical experience, the research they might have done, the clinical trials they might have been engaged with that's built up over the years. Authenticity is the currency, is the equity for a digital opinion leader. And how brands can tap into that equity depends on the kind of relationship that you build with that digital opinion leader. While it's closely related, if you think about Pharma companies have spent years cultivating relationships with key opinion leaders. It's absolutely a critical component historically. The way in which you cultivate relationships with digital opinion leaders is by engaging them as content creators, the way Thomas was describing. And that partnership is in the early days in terms of pharma launch brands figuring out, okay, how do I build those partnerships? Because guess what? You build a solid partnership It's not a one-off application. Key opinion leader relationships might stretch decades where you're applying them across multiple brand launches. Digital opinion leaders, while in the early days, certainly have that level of opportunity. The question for us remains, what is the life cycle of a digital opinion leader? You know, does someone... You know, we know how quickly new voices emerge on the scene and how quickly existing voices can depart the scene. So there is a certain level of opportunity to seize the window when someone is being listened to, that their perspective is being valued. How can a pharma launch brand really be part of the, how can they participate in the conversation? Because conversations are happening, but pharma launch brands are often talking at the audience And influence really allows them to participate in the conversation with the audience. That is great. So thanks for making that distinction. And and when you said that, the life cycle of of new influencers, it reminded me also how channels used to be. Because you used to have, you know, TV, radio, this and that. And now, you know, there is a new channel every six months. There is another channel, another opportunity, like TikTok or or anything else, like podcast, for example, for sponsor podcast. So let's say at this point, you know, I mapped out, I mapped out all the channels. And when you say content creation, how is that navigated? And do you have any example of that? Because let's say I'm a brand director. I do set, I do have a set of core messages. I do believe in my product. I know the efficacy, safety, and other results of everything. So I'm pretty clear about that. 
Now, I have the influencer who has this equity they're built with their audiences, and we want to kind of connect the two in a way that also won't make anyone in the compliance department of pharma, you know, really, really upset. And so how is that content really created? Is it, I come and say, hey, here are my core messages. If you're using the product and believe in the product, you know, please feel free to say it loud, transparently. I think in other industries, e-commerce, usually when an influencer uses the product, they would say, look, I use the product. That's how they stay authentic. And here's my experience with the product. And here is type of kind of situations or patients I would use it. And does that content need to be reviewed and approved by pharma because doctor use it? Or pharma says, this is what we have, but what you say is independent. How does that work? Yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a very valid question. A lot of clients that we work with have the exact same question. So again, like I mentioned before, the, these relationships are very collaborative. So oftentimes what we do, and when clients are working with HCP influencers, we recommend jumping on a call first to just understand their experience with the brand, understand a little bit about who they are, their experience and kind of expertise, just so we kind of are all on the same playing field. Uh, we'll do the same about the brand as well, make sure that we have all of those key messages in place and whatnot. But then what we'll do is, again, we will provide them with an initial brief to really help them understand what our goals are, what we're trying to get out of this partnership from a brand standpoint. And then it is a little bit of a, a back and forth process to ensure that uh, their authenticity is not getting lost. And again, our kind of key goals and, and necessary things are also accounted for. It is definitely something that is uh, reviewed by regulatory teams. Clients also review it as well. So I think influencer marketing, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's HCPs or consumers, it is a very robust process that we encourage our clients to really have close working relationships with their agencies who are executing it with their own MLR teams to really understand what is influencer marketing what are these individuals doing and how are they speaking to our product or brand? And then continue kind of that line of sight throughout the whole process. We'll go through initial content creation. The brands and clients will review that content, giving any kind of feedback or adjustments depending on uh, regulatory concerns. At the end of the day, our number one goal is to make sure that clients are remaining compliant and anyone that we work with from an influencer capacity is also compliant as well. So again, it is not a one and done conversation. It is something that is continually evolving and progressing as these partnerships continue. All right. So I'm glad to hear that because we don't want, you know, anyone preparing a launcher and listening to break any rules <laughs> on the compliance side. All right. So in general, you know, all the content has to be reviewed and approved. I get it. And then just want something crossed my mind. Oftentimes I would see in other industries, these influencers doing lives. Uh, Instagram Live or, or LinkedIn Live, where they would actually talk about specific topic. Is it done? I haven't seen in um, DOLs, KLLs doing like live in the same way that we do, we do a webinar. I say, hey, I'm going to be live. I will be talking about new guide, uh, guidelines in heart failure. I will be talking about this new product in my experience. Is this actually happening at all? Uh, I would say lives. Uh, there is still some kind of hesitancy towards that because it is very in the moment. There. You can't control everything that happens there. What we've been able to do is work with clients in certain instances to kind of get as near live as possible. What we've been able to do is work with them so they can create content in the moment. So if an influencer goes to an event or to a conference, we're able to have them create content 
while there and then almost in real time we review that content get it approved and then have it go live half an hour hour later depending on kind of the review process so it is definitely something that we're working towards figuring out how we can be a little bit more in the moment agile in some of those live capacities but again Within this space, we need to make sure that everything is compliant and aligned with what we need to do. So we're working towards it, I would say, as close to our getting is near live creating content in the moment and then getting it approved. Okay. I have to ask you about this modular content is a big topic like the last several years. So is modular content creation helpful for this? Is it something that's embedded in the workflows typically so that you have a piece that can work you know, the so, well, social media is like very short form communication, right? Especially Twitter. Yeah, it is. I think in every partnership that we do, we kind of think it fit from that perspective, especially if it is content creation. So we're looking at it as an opportunity for production, thinking about we have these individuals creating content for us. Yes, obviously, we're going to have them posted on their own social media channels, be it LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever that be. But also, how can we as a brand leverage that content? Can we post it to our own channels? Can we leverage it on kind of paid media on social, digital advertising, website? So again, thinking about it as an opportunity for us to, one, tap into these individuals that have expertise within their fields, but also how can we tap into it as a content source that we can leverage as well? So it is definitely something that we, throughout every program, um, lean into. Great. Thanks. And then I have, I have a bazillion questions, but I have two more really questions before we, before I ask you the questions about you, I have like five or six rapid fire questions towards, towards the end. So audience gets to know you, but towards the end of this process, and I think you really clearly and nicely explained on how to, what are kind of all the steps to, to, to strategically think about KOLs, DLLs. And at the end of every process, there's a question, how do you measure success? So what are some of the metrics that, you know, a pharma brand director, a medical affairs director working on a product launch should look at to say this is working or this is not working? Yeah, it's there's a, a couple different tiers that we use to kind of tackle this question, especially within the pharmaceutical space. This is historically a little bit more difficult than we would see in the consumer space. Oftentimes we don't have e-commerce websites where we can go on and purchase a prescription medication. So again, it is a little bit more nuanced and tricky. Kind of the first tier that we approach is just kind of leading indicators. So traditional social media metrics, looking at uh, impressions, cost per engagements, those are kind of general, uh, often what times are oftentimes are referred to as vanity metrics. Those can give kind of directionally speaking, an idea of, of success. As we look to kind of diving in a little bit deeper, we do leverage uh, brand lift studies and collaborations with some of these platform partners um, to really understand how this content is performing on those platforms. So again, we at Click, we have you know a robust analytics team, but we also kind of tap into the expertise of these platforms as well to really understand how the performance is is working. At a high level, we've been able to really look at ROI through MMM and really take some of these uh, influencer executions and isolate them within um, that framework to do some regression modeling. So it is very, very robust and there are a lot of opportunities. Um, so I will say, while it was tricky uh, and difficult, uh, historically, we are definitely making strides to really having um, robust measurement and, and proof of concept for these. 
What is MMM, just for, for the audience? Mixed uh, marketing model, is that All correct? Right. Right. Marketing right. mixed modeling. Yep, market, yep. One thing we should call out, and the two get conflated quite frequently, is the, the medical education side of the world with influence. Um, and you can even put you know PR in there to m- muddy up the waters even further. When we you you asked us at the beginning of this podcast about defining influencer, and I think it's it's very important to understand those distinctions because medical education is not measured on business impact. There's a service to disseminate medical information out to the world, and there is a role for the key opinion leaders in doing that. One of the nice things about having a juxtaposition of the two is digital opinion leaders play a very different role. They can play a complementary role. So as the KOLs are out there providing the medical education and, and, and leveling up the market's familiarity with some of the distinctions of a new soon-to-launch product or the science behind that product, the digital opinion leaders are really sort of have their finger on the pulse of the community and how it's going to be received. What, what is that buzz among the patients who are anticipating? How can that buzz be shared with other doctors? How can the marketplace be prepared more effect? How can the marketer prepare the market for a soon-to-launch product? So the, the digital opinion leaders have a very important role to play less about the dissemination always of the medical information and almost as an inbound channel in many cases that they understand not just how to communicate with their their audience, but they can also, in that collaborative relationship that the pharma marketer has with them, it's an insight engine. Thomas and I have learned so much that has benefited the marketer in terms of how to better connect with and communicate with the community, whether that's physicians or consumers, so that we can be more effective in how we craft our communications, even if it's not through the influencer themselves. In fact, I would argue that that's one of the most powerful aspects to using influence as a key ingredient in launch is the connectivity you have with the community that is going to be the first to adopt and embrace a new medicine onto the market. We're constantly in conversations with these people and I'll, I have people texting me, shooting me emails with kind of feedback and questions and thoughts in the moment. So to Brian's point, Yes, we're using them as content creators and using their influence, but it also, we're able to learn so much more and kind of take advantage and leverage those relationships from our standpoint as marketers to make sure that we kind of have the pulse of the community ingrained in everything we do. Yeah, I'm so glad you made a distinction between, you know, medical and commercial because, you know, one of the ways a medical measures their performance is number of insights or the quality of insights. So if you think about that kind of insight generation engine that is 24-7, things can become really, really powerful. And it will always translate in one way or another into business impact. But not everything, as you said, like can be measured with, you know, whether it's prescription or something super specific. The last question I'll ask, anything on the differences between doing this in the US or global that you discovered or are thinking about lately, especially since Click had a big announcement, I think, several months ago that you guys are going global. So congratulations on that. So anything you would like to highlight in that context? Yeah. So, you know, I'll say, 
I think the the number one difference is, you know, how we're able to leverage these individuals. I think, you know, within the United States, there are certain things that we can do where kind of on a global scale, we might not be able to talk specifically about a medication or kind of communicate directly with those individuals. So I think at the end of the day, how we leverage them is the exact same. They have following, they have an ability to connect with people and share their authentic stories and voices and expertise. I think really when it comes down to um, like the nuances is, you know, what is the messaging that we're using with them? Kind of how can we insert the brand into their into their platforms and, and influence. And then also to Brian's uh, point earlier, some of these global markets are a lot more in tune in terms of like fully leaning into the power of influencer. I'm currently working with some clients in APAC and they are just all 100% in. They believe in it. They see it. Um, and oftentimes some of these influencers and creators are kind of top tier. I think we look at the United States, we have celebrities who are able to completely sway people's opinions and beliefs and purchasing powers. It's in within those markets. Those are some of those influencers. They're seen as kind of celebrities of their own kind of countries and communities. So again, it is, I think the US is not far behind, but uh, we see some markets really just leaning into it a little bit more. I've, I've worked for many years with global marketers, and I think one of the frequent criticisms is strategies get developed in the U.S., for instance, without a real in-depth understanding of the cultural nuances in a given region. And I think leaning into a launch where influence is at the center allows you to tap into and better understand some of the cultural nuances at a much more grounded level. And I think that is a learning that we're taking full advantage of, that as we accelerate the ways in which we can bring products to market in these regions, um, it's not from a top-down, global knows best. Sometimes these influencers who literally are in the communities that this treatment is going to impact can filter up some of the, the, the what we talked about earlier, this, this cultural intelligence that is so critical when you're using influence on a global stage. That, again, is one of these things you couldn't have planned that in advance, but has been one of the, these amazing surprises that as we've expanded globally have opened our eyes to the real value of launching with influence. That's wonderful. I think we covered a lot, and I think uh, this really useful. We try to be as pragmatic as well, put some definitions as well, and um, share how this applies globally. So I know there's a lot more, and you guys have built an expertise, so I'll ask you towards the end um, how people can find you. And at this point, I'd love to guests to share a little bit more about themselves through specific questions that I have so the listeners get to know you better. So I can go maybe one question each. What's your favorite industry buzzword of the year 2023? Or what do you think will be the number one industry buzzword of the year? You know, within the influencer space, and I, I'm preparing to say this, and I know it's going to be a little controversial, uh, this idea of de-influence. I think consumers and, and audiences on social media platforms are realizing that influencers are getting paid, they're working with brands, and they are wanting to ensure that, again, the true authenticity 
is actually coming through of from the these creators content so again de-influence does not mean in any way that brands should not be leaning into this marketing tactic does not mean that they should be leveraging these stories but it really just kind of forces us as marketers to reevaluate how we're using them are we forcing these individuals to say exactly like i mentioned earlier x y and z key messages are what you need to say or do we allow them to consume who our brand is, what our brand is, what it does, and then actually genuinely and authentically speak to their experience with that. I know within the pharma space, it's a little bit nuanced, but I think just uh, taking a step back and approaching any partnership program with that idea and kind of that uh, in the back of your brain is something that we as marketers really, really need to be cognizant of over the next year and kind of as as we see influencer marketing evolve and, and progress into uh, the future. Yeah, thank you. Brian, what's the best book you've read in the last 12 months? As it relates to business, I read a book called The Crux by Richard Rumelt. I had to pull his name up to rem- make sure I had the author's name correct because it really shook me to my core as a strategist um, because his argument is as strategists, we work with our clients to put together these marketing plans. And he makes the argument that a plan is not a strategy, that a real strategy, you think about it in terms of mountain climbing or rock climbing, you aren't project, you want to reach the top of the mountain, but your strategy is, okay, how do I get to that next finger hold? Every person has a unique body type. How do I get up this mountain? I can't follow the same path as everyone else. What is my path to my ultimate goal? And understanding the crux really gets down to what is the single critical decision or change that needs to happen in order for you to solve the ultimate challenge. And that's, that's what a strategy is. And so that, that book really spoke to me as a strategist because it forced me to challenge some things that have become muscle memory. And I think when things become muscle memory, you stop questioning them. And I think as we look forward, particularly when we're tackling an area like influence, to not rest on your assumptions, to really get to what is the crux of what's going to make influence a powerful tool for someone to launch their product. This book really opened my eyes to to that possibility. Already buying it. Thanks. Thanks for the... uh, (laughs) (laughs) One more question, Thomas, for you. What's the type of music or a go-to song when you want to feel a little bit more inspired? Oh, boy. You're asking someone who has like the widest range of musical taste ever. Weirdly enough, currently I'm really into classical music. I grew up in music. I was in band and orchestra, and that has always been kind of my go-to to just ground myself and also be inspired. I also like listen to pop music, but I think when I really want to kind of ground myself and, and be inspired, allowing myself to be in that classical music space really gets my brain thinking and allows me to calm down as well. So. Long and short, I think that my current playlist is called Sad Classical. I don't know what that's saying, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything within that realm is my go-to right now. Great. And where can people find you online? Is it website, click? Is it LinkedIn? Both of you uh, are you in the company. Yep, I would say, you know, from a clip standpoint, obviously our website, click.com, and then I would say both of us uh, are LinkedIn as well. Uh, and then obviously email, tangstrom at click.com. Definitely open to having conversations with anyone about Influencer. Yeah, 
especially if you want to work with DOLs and KOLs. <laughs> exactly. Brian, sorry. Yeah. Now I was going to say, you know, Thomas leads our influence practice. So if you have any questions about, you know, how to, you know, engage us there, feel free to reach out to Thomas. And uh, yeah, and you can reach me on LinkedIn or at bkaiser at click.com. Excellent. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a great episode. I'm sure listeners will enjoy it. Thank you. Sounds great. Thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.